Well, good morning and happy 2021. <laughs> right, for those who are with us online, if you're for the first time, no, we're glad you're here with us today. I want to just go ahead and state the obvious, okay? We're not uh, just in a new year, but we're out of 2020, right? It's the year that seemed like it would never end. Um, it's, a, it's a year that will be remembered for a very long time. Uh, it's a year that has a hashtag beside it, and you just kind of get it, right? For example, uh, my son uh, has been asking for a drone for Christmas for a long time. We got each of our kids one nicer gift. Uh, we got stocked in a drone. We got more, a more cost-efficient uh, entry-level drone off of Amazon, and uh, we took it outside. It went about 30 feet in the air. It starts to drift. I hit the button for it to come down. Uh, it decided not to listen, and it just flew off, right? It goes over the house, over, over the retention pond, over the trees, over the neighborhood, uh, houses and me and all the neighborhood kids start running after it for it to never come back. And to that we say, hashtag 2020, right? It just makes sense, right? When someone says hashtag 2020, it usually is not surrounded by good cheer and happy thoughts. And so coming out of a year like this, or really any year for that matter, uh, the temptation is to want to step forward without reflecting on the past. You know, I think we would uh, be doing a great disservice if we fail to look back and reflect Without, without, uh, before we move forward. And so in our new series over the next several weeks I've, that I've titled The God Who Restores, uh, we're going to look back and process and reflect. And then about halfway through, we're going to uh, start looking forward and try to paint a picture and really praying uh, and begging the Lord and, and seeking what he may have for us in 2021. Um, and something that I know to be generally true is that our, ba- our past greatly shapes us, right, both positively and negatively. Uh, we all come with life experiences, both good and bad, that, that, shape, that greatly shape how we look at life. Uh, they shape our burdens, how we interact with others, our confidence, uh, our insecurities, our sin struggles. Uh, and the beauty of God in the gospel is that God takes those life experiences, the good ones, the bad ones, uh, the peaks and the valleys of our life, and God restores them and he redeems them to use for his good purposes. Uh, and so this, as our, our, as our series title suggests, this is the God who restores and so when we reflect on those things, uh, on these things in our life, and really seek the Lord to see how God may be able to use them for his grand purpose, you know, what seems like a thorn from the enemy ends up being an incredible tool in the hands of God. So I don't think it's an accident that our church was birthed out of a year of great trials. You know, let's, let's be honest here. The only thing that thrived in 2020 uh, were dogs, Taylor Swift, and Zoom, Okay. I mean, every, every newsletter and year-end report seems like a broken record. They all say the same thing. Well, 2020, it's been a hard year. Um, I, don't have, I don't think I have to go through a list uh, to remind you of how it's been a hard year for you. I mean, everyone's been affected differently. But as I think about 2020, there have been so many verses in God's Word that have been so helpful for me personally uh, all year long. And the one that's been more of an anchor for me recently is James 1, verses 2 through 4, that says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers.'" When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Why? Because it produces steadfastness. It produces endurance and faithfulness and persistence. And so get this. Every trial that we have faced or uh, we face or have faced, God uses it to prepare us for the very next one. And so when we look on this past year, a, a year full of various trials, as James says, he says, count it all joy. Why? Because God is producing something in us in the process. God's producing steadfastness. 
And so over the next few weeks, I hope to share with, uh, with, with share what I believe God has produced in me and in our church over this past year uh, that I believe we should count as a joy. Because the very first year of our church, God saw it fit to deepen us and to prepare us for steadfastness, to be a church that had to endure various trials from the very birthing of our church. And I don't think it's an accident that God has decided to do this for a church that wants to send people to really hard places and to do really hard things, where endurance and steadfastness is essential for God's mission. You know, I don't think it's an accident that our church was birthed into various trials, knowing that we want to send people to places like Central Asia, where missionaries have been for 10 years, and they only know a handful of believers, and where many believers that profess faith experience persecution or just end up fleeing to never return. You know, I don't have a doubt in my mind that God has used 2020 to shape me personally, as a person, as a pastor, as a husband, as a friend, as a dad. And so I don't have a doubt in my mind that it's also shaped many of you. So that said, in God's perfect providence, uh, we come to a text today that was planned months ago. Um, this series was planned really for the back half of the series and just kind of worked backwards. I was a little unsure about the first half. Um, but as we get into this, I think we'll see that God knew what he was doing by placing Psalm 62 in front of us today. Because as we look back on this past year, one of the foundational truths that God has made abundantly clear is the main idea of Psalm 62, which is our main idea today. And it's that we put our trust in God alone. We'll see this over and over and over again in Psalm 62, and I'm going to read the entire thing, and what we can't miss as we read this is that God alone is where our trust lies. And as we look back over this past year where God has really kind of stirred the pot, the one thing that has been made abundantly clear is that our God is our only sure foundation, that we trust in God alone. We don't trust in the economy, not government leaders, not those in power, not our health, not comforts, not, not our ambitions, our expectations, our relationships, our rhythms, uh, nor our routines. No, we trust in God alone. And if God has taught us anything this year, it's that we're a needy, broken, we're a dependent people that must trust in God alone. And so if you have your Bibles, follow along with me as I read Psalm 62. It says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. So law for, for God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock and my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. The power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, brings steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. And so for the rest of our time, I want to break down this passage um, and then kind of explain it, hopefully throughout our time, uh, we'll, be, we'll be reminded of our solid foundation that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to divide this, this passage in half. In the first seven verses, we're going to see the personal trust in God. And then in verses 8 through 12, we're going to see uh, David, the author, he's going to kind of turn towards uh, more of a corporate trust, kind of a, a call towards all the people. And so our, our two chunks today are pretty simple. Number one, personal trust in God alone. And number two, corporate trust in God alone. 
And I think, it's imp- I think it's important for us to continually be reminded that following Jesus Christ is both a personal endeavor and a corporate endeavor. It's a whole community-wide effort. You know, we'll see the first half of our passage, uh, David referring to himself, saying things like, My soul waits in silence. He alone is my rock. My hope is from him. My salvation, my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge. We can't get out of this psalm and not see the overwhelming repetition of the personal relationship between David and God. But then we'll, we'll notice that David kind of turned his focus and attention, uh, calling out to a plurality of people, to the corporate nature of God's people, seeing this community event that is the Christian life. David uses his personal experiences, his personal trust in God, to exhort and encourage a community of people to do the exact same thing, to put their hope in God alone. And so we're going to go back through this a few verses at a time, look specifically at David's personal trust in God alone. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Just to kind of give some context around this, David is experiencing some sort of trouble or trial. We don't know exactly what it is. Some have said that possibly this was when uh, he was fleeing from his son Absalom. Uh, but on, in all honesty, we don't really know. Uh, but as we'll see through, as we read throughout the song, we do have a few details. There's a few details that surround it that kind of give some hints towards it. But uh, here is David. He's in the thick of his trouble, crying out to God. He's crying out to God, saying, "My soul waits in silence." One translation uh, translates this first line. He says, "I am at rest in God alone." Or another one says, uh, "My soul waits in silence for God alone." You know, there's a, the song we're going to sing right after uh, this sermon is based right out of Psalm 62. And in it, we sing, my soul finds rest in God alone. And in the middle of David's trouble, where he needs to be rescued, he's likely seeking some sort of physical deliverance from some sort of outward trouble. He needs to be rescued out of his trial. And in the middle of his daunting circumstances, where fear and anxiousness could easily take over, David cries out, Psalm 62, saying, my soul finds rest in God alone. My soul is in peace and is in silence with God. He needed to be physically rescued out of his circumstance, but rather he says God alone is his rescuer. His salvation is from God. God is his rock, his fortress, his safe space, his firm foundation. In the middle of his trial, he cries out great truths about God, things that he knows to be true, which just as a side note is so important for us to do into practice. When we go through difficulties, it's an opportunity for us to put into practice what we know to be true. You know, we can, we can read books all day long about God's love, his care, his protection, his provision, his sovereignty, his divine providence, but there's nothing quite like going to the university of hardship and trouble that will teach us what we really believe about God. And in those moments of difficulty, we need to remember, we must remember the truths about, of God's word so that we can take those incredible truths and dig them into our heart and soul. You know, Charles Spurgeon a preacher out of the 1800s had a sermon titled, Sweet Fruit from a Thorny Tree. In that sermon, uh, he discusses the thorns of sickness and physical pain. You know, he draws out the sweet fruit that it teaches, like better understanding of our humanness, of, of our finiteness, and, and, and just kind of growing in a tenderness towards others, uh, and an extra gratefulness when health returns. You know, in essence, our perspective changes when we realize our dependency. And the same thing was true of David. You know, when he was, he was under great distress, but in his distress, he was reminded of his dependency on the Lord. But what I don't want to miss here, which is our first term in the sermon, it's David, number one, it's David's personal trust in God alone. 
personal trust in God alone. You know, these great, these great truths about God, David knew them to be personally true for him. These have affected him as a person, as an individual. David had an intimacy with God that he trusted, allowing him to cry out to God. But that being said, David's intimacy with God wasn't perfect. Right? He didn't always trust. He didn't always respond rightly. But as we look at these psalms that King David wrote, what I don't want us to do is, is to only say, uh, let's, let's be like David. Because yes, this psalm is God's perfect word, and it helps to, uh, it's a great example for us to look at. It helps us to relate and better understand God himself. But although David wrote this and it's God's holy word, David himself was not perfect. This psalm was written by a broken man that was limited and finite, yet it encourages us because we too are broken, limited, and finite people just like David. And so when we read these psalms, they should cause us to cry out to the one and look to the one who was perfect in Jesus Christ, who had a perfect intimacy with God. It should be a, it should be a picture that points us to Jesus Christ, who fully trusted in God alone. When we read this psalm through the lens of Jesus, we know that Jesus perfectly embodied this entire psalm. Jesus had perfect intimacy with God. Jesus' soul always perfectly found rest in God alone. Jesus uh, is our rock, and he is our salvation. Jesus Christ in the gospel... He, he perfectly portrays God as a fortress, as God our salvation, the language that we hear in this psalm. Because in the gospel, by Jesus going to the cross, in essence, Jesus became a fortress for us from the penalty of our sin. Every wrong we've ever done because of Jesus' work on the cross, because of that, Jesus shields us. Jesus provides a fortress for us. He protects us. And so everything we see about God in the psalm it all, is also perfectly true of Jesus Christ that we can know Jesus personally and intimately. And so as we think about this, I want to call each of us to reflect on this in our own life, thinking about your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, asking yourself, what, is, what does that look like? Right? like? Do we have a deep and abiding trust in God alone? Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're, maybe you're watching online, uh, you're listening here, something, just something for you to wrestle with. Let me, let me ask you and call you to consider putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I can say without a doubt in my mind that Jesus alone will be the only thing that will fully satisfy you. Everything else is fleeting and temporary. But I can tell you from my own life that Jesus Christ is sufficient, that Jesus Christ is worth following. It won't be easy, uh, and it with, uh, and it, but it is without a doubt. It is worth it. And I pray that you'd consider how Jesus Christ came into the world for broken people like you and me, that we would trust in him alone, that we would trust and believe that what he did by going to the cross made a way for God to come to us and forgive us of our sins so that we could be with him today and forever, so that he could be our rock and a refuge for us, so that we could walk through every part of our life with incredible confidence no matter what happens, no matter what peak, no matter what valley, we have a refuge in Jesus Christ, just like we see in this psalm. And so for the Christians... But, but really for everybody, honestly, let me ask, when life gets hard and difficult, what do we turn to? You know, something that's been helpful for me to process, uh, uh, maybe helpful to process through is to possibly just kind of help figure out what, uh, what, to help figure out what we may be trusting in other than God. You know, we all have these things in our life. I have them, you have them, David had them. And just as David is doing in this psalm, he went to war on them with the truth of God's word. And so a few diagnostic questions to help pinpoint some of those false, these false hopes we may have in our lives. Let's just ask ourselves, what are we, what are we worried or unsettled about? Right, what, what keeps us up at night? 
You know, what disappointments have we experienced? Have you experienced? Maybe, maybe this past year, we all, you know, we all have these things in our lives. We all deal with this. Being a Christian, it doesn't mean they go away, right? It just means we have the tools uh, and the hope to fight them and the privilege to trust the Lord with them. You know, each of us have to daily put our trust in God alone. Jesus Christ came into the world uh, to help us with this. And to help us every step of the way. And when things get stripped away from us or when we go through difficulty or challenges like David was going through, through this process, we have the incredible privilege to be dependent on God and God alone. And to find, as the great Charles Spurgeon mentioned, to find the sweet fruit that comes from a thorny tree. You know, when I was, <laughs> when I was in college, um, I spent one month in California serving at a Young Life camp. I worked in what was called the pits. Um, which was basically just washing dis- dishes all day long. Um, it was really hard work. It was, it was the pits. And every day after lunch, we had a few hours of free time, and uh, we went out to this field next to the dining hall and, and played ultimate frisbee. And then one day, we realized that along the lines of this field, uh, there, was, there were blackberry bushes all over the place. Um, and if you don't know this, blackberry stems are a lot like thorn, uh, the rose stems. They're sharp, and they will cut you. Okay? They will make you bleed. I know this because I spent the entire month eating blackberries every single day. And we ate so many that we had to go through the thorns right, to get to the blackberries in the back rows. <laughs> and I would, I would get cuts all over my arms uh, and my hands and, and sometimes bleeding. But y'all, I, I really mean this. At the bottom of my heart, those were the blackberries I think I've ever had. Best, bla- best blackberries I think I've ever had. It. Still to this day, nothing compares to them. Um, they were so good. I mean, I got to the point that you had to get really committed to get them, like really committed and I, and I was really committed. I mean, I, I eventually uh, I had to go like five feet deep into these blackberry bushes to get these blackberries. Um, there were only a few faithful few that would go in and do it. And it was, you know, I had to wear long pants and, and long sleeves to get them. And just to get them, you know, people would kind of walk by and see this guy back in the woods trying to get the, <laughs> trying to get the, blackberry, the blackberries out. And, you know, I ate so many blackberries that, that month that um, my, my teeth actually, <laughs> the front of my teeth got stained. Uh, like I had this little gap. It looked like I had a huge gap, gap in my teeth. I would brush, I would floss. I was doing everything all the time, like multiple times a day, four or five times a day. I couldn't get it out. Uh, nothing would fix it. I finally just, when I got back, I went to the dentist and they had to scrape the stains off my teeth. You know, but, but as I said, uh, those were the best blackberries I've ever had. Uh, it scraped up my arms, my hands, uh, it drew some blood at times, and it stained my teeth, but I can say with confidence the sweetness of the fruit was worth, was worth every scratch and stain. And that's what David is experiencing. Right? He's going through turmoil and hardship. He's being scratched and stained, but in the process, he's getting to taste the sweetness of God. And so that said, let's look at the scratches and stain that David alludes to. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, the only plan to thrust him down from his high position? They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. You know, David in this psalm is, is speaks of being attacked and battered like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. In essence, being attacked while he's down. He's not in full strength. He's in a weakened state. David is speaking uh, of his adversaries that want to bring him down. His adversaries take pleasure in lying, he says. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse, is what it says. In essence, you know, they, were, they, were, they would say one thing, but believe another. You know, they speak kindly and bless, but they don't actually believe what they're saying. That's what's going on in the psalm with David. And so these are the thorns that David was dealing with. 
And, and what I don't want to miss is that, yes, David went through this difficult trial, but may we not forget the small trial, uh, this, this small trial David experienced was a small foretaste of the greater trial that Jesus Christ would experience at the cross. Because Jesus Christ, like David, had those in high positions. They thought, they thought to tear down Jesus and curse him, and they mocked him, and they whipped him, and they beat him. And so as we think about the trouble and hardship that David experienced, may we not forget that Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, he too experienced trouble and hardship, but he experienced exponentially more. You know, Jesus Christ at the cross was beaten and scorned so that he could be our salvation and our refuge, so that he could be our mighty fortress. Our God knows our pain. He knows our trouble because he too experienced hardship. So not only does our God hear us and help us, but he can relate and he can understand at a very deep level. And look what David says in return in the next three verses. Look at the sweet fruit that David is being forced to experience in verses 5 to 7. It says, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God's rest, my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. And here David kind of repeats a lot of what he said in the first two verses. He says his soul finds rest in God alone. His hope, his security, his safety, his foundation, his salvation is in God alone. It's not in his circumstances, it's not in people, it's not what they say, it's not in what they don't say. No, his soul finds rest in God alone. You know, if I can think of one foundational thing that the Lord has continually reminded me of and taught me in such a deeper way throughout this entire past year, is that uh, my soul finds rest in God alone. Right? That God alone is my sure foundation. That Jesus Christ is my sufficient refuge. That he's something like, uh, that, and it's something like David that we need to remember on repeat in our life. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I've never been more convinced of God's call for New City Church than I am right now. What an incredible blessing it is for the sweet fruit that comes out of a thorny 2020 that God alone is our only sure foundation, that God alone is our only satisfaction. And y'all, I know, I've known this in my head and I've truly believed this in my heart time and time and time again, but I can confidently say my faith has grown significantly since this time last year. Why? Because as James says, trials produce steadfastness. That Paul continues on, and then Paul continues on in Romans 5, 4. Perseverance produces character and character hope. You know, I'm going I'm to state the obvious here. <laughs> Y'all, trials are not fun. There's nothing fun about them. Being isolated or lonely or anxious or worried or fearful or sick or angered or broke. Right? None of this is fun. Right? They're thorns and scrapes and stains. But God uses them to help us find the sweet fruit that is found in trusting God alone. You know, I said this several weeks ago. I want to say it again. It's really, it's really hard for the fiery darts of our enemy to penetrate us when our hope is in God alone. That doesn't mean it won't hurt or sting or be difficult, but the fiery darts, they cannot crush us. Why? Because our God is a mighty fortress, and when we trust in our God, our mighty fortress, we can find great comfort and security knowing that our God is with us, that he's fighting for us on our behalf in a real and a personal way. And so I want to, I want to keep moving here. See how, God, uh, how, how David takes these ideas and begins to shift kind of outward towards other people. Look starting in verse 8. Kind of look at the outward nature of this. It says, trust in verse 8. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So here David is calling out to a group of people and commending them to find the same hope and refuge that he has found in God. Showing us our next turn. Number two, corporate trust in God alone. 
You know, David's moved from crying out with his personal trust in God to now commending an entire community. And he's calling on them to cry out to God. He says, pour out your heart before him. In essence, to cry out to God in prayer and to lean on the firm foundation that he's found in God. In a lot of ways, it's like he's saying, look what I've learned. Don't forget this. Hey, y'all need this too. Listen, trusting in God alone, it's a community-wide effort. We need to all continually be reminded and pointing to each other to trust in God and nothing else. There's something I want to point out that's interesting about going through times of trouble that we see here in this psalm specifically. Uh, We saw in the first half of this psalm, he said, my soul waits in silence, or to find rest in God. It was another way to translate it. There's a sense of a disciplined expectation to wait on the Lord. To find peace while we wait and trust the Lord. Kind of like a, a resting silence. While at this exact same time, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, here we see David say, he says, pour out your heart before him. And so we see a trusting, waiting patience while also an active crying out to God, pleading with God, knowing that God listens and that God is able. You now, crying out to God in prayer This is something we take very seriously here at New City Church. And because of that, in a few weeks, on Friday night, January 22nd, we're going to do just that. We're going to gather together corporately for a night of prayer and worship to cry out to God, to pour out our hearts before him and beg him to move through us and among us. There's only a few things we do here at New City. And these nights where we gather together a few times throughout the year for prayer and worship are one of the more important things we do as a church. And hear me on this. This night is very important for us. If you call New City Church home, I want to ask you to make this night a top priority. Because if what I'm I'm preaching about today is true, then we trust that we trust in God alone. Then our corporate gathering of prayer is a primary outworking of this truth. Because when we pray, we're saying we don't depend on ourselves. We depend and trust in God alone. I want to keep moving here um, and look uh, more specifically about what we do not trust. What we see in verses 9 and 10. Look at verse 19. It says, Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set, your heart, uh, set not your harp, heart on them. And so here, David is giving warnings to his community. In verse 9, he refers to, to low estates and high estates. Essentially, uh, this is an, kind of an all-encompassing statement, uh, kind of about social and wealth classes from every side of the spectrum, saying they're all temporary. Just to say it again, in verse 9, he said, Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. He compares, like, it, it, he compares lots of wealth to a delusion, right? something that appears to be good, but it's a false hope and a false security. He says those in low estate, he says it's but a breath. Or later in verse 9, he says, he says it's lighter than a breath, meaning it's temporary, it's fleeting, it won't last forever. And then in verse 10, he continues with this theme of wealth, saying put no trust in extortion or vain hopes in robbery, meaning don't be like the evil world uh, that, that tries to cut corners and lie and steal and to get ahead financially. He says if riches increase, set not your heart on them. All this to say he's commending his community to not be lured by the security of worldly riches, the power that comes with wealth and the status of our world. It's a delusion and it's but a breath, what David says. To put it more bluntly, it's meaningless. Like, don't chase after it. And look at, look at what he says in verses 11 and 12 to close out the psalm. 
David says, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. In verse 11, when he says, once God has spoken, twice I have, I have heard this. You know, what David is doing in this phrase here, he's using this common, commonly made statement during this time that shows extreme confidence that, that power belongs to God. Power does not belong in people, not in riches or wealth or social status. No, David is telling his community of people that great confidence that God is, that God is in power. And the fact that God is in power, we can find great comfort. And that in, uh, that in the Lord, as he says in verse 12, we find a steadfast love, an enduring love, a love that never fails. And may I remind you, David is proclaiming these truths from his own experiences where he not, not only knows them in his mind, but he has been forced to believe them because of his hard, difficult external circumstances. And he then shares them with his community to spur them on to put their trust in God alone. And so as we kind of look back over this past year and all that's kind of come with it, I want to call each of us to reflect and look back and for us to each consider every trial we've each individually personally faced. Because what I truly believe is that in each of those trials, the Lord has taught each of us something. And I believe at many levels, in in each of those trials, trials big and small, uh, you've been forced to trust the Lord more. And it's probably grown you in some ways. But I also wouldn't be surprised if the Lord has taught you far more than that. And just like we see David do in this psalm, he uses what he's personally learned to spur on his surrounding community. He shares the sweet fruit with his community so that he can find, uh, so that they also can find the same sweet fruit. Something I would love to see our church grow in is sharing in our brokenness, right? Sharing in our struggles, in the hardships with each other. You know, back in the fall, back in early August, something the Lord just kind of impressed under my heart, kind of wrote it down, um, was to lead out of brokenness. Um, the last thing I want for our church is for us to look like we have it all together on the outside, but on the inside, people are just struggling. In order to create safe spaces for people to be okay being broken is for us to each realize we too are broken. That it's okay that we don't have to have it all together. It's okay uh, for people who come in not to have it all together. And we'll get into this more next week in Psalm 63, but one of the many things I believe the Lord is calling us to this year to really grow in as a church is to step into the fact that we're a broken church for broken people. And as we'll see throughout this series, we'll see that God loves to come in and bring life and restoration through the redeeming power of the gospel to broken people. So specifically for today, I want us to call, I want to call us to consider how God over this past year has worked in your life through various trials through the brokenness you've experienced? What has God shown you in those trials? And then do as David does in this psalm. Share and encourage others in your community, in our community. Because when we share our struggles and challenges with each other, when we let people in to see our mess, when we let people walk through the trials with us, when we bear one another's burdens as broken people, it builds and establishes a community that is special. You know, when we think of community... One of the challenges of community that many face is to be on the constant search for community. You know, however, one of the things the Lord has kind of reminded me of recently is not to constantly search for, for a community, but rather to build a community. Or there's a difference. You know, searching for a community can feel really lonely at times. But when we build a community, it's incredibly life-giving. 
And when a community goes through trials and hardship while still rejoicing in Jesus, it builds and forms a bond that is really hard to break. Because when a community of people go through various trials together, and that same community all realizes together that it's Christ alone we trust, that Christ alone is our sure foundation, our refuge, and our fortress, there's a special sweet fruit that can be found among the thorns of hardship. And so as we close here today, Reflecting on Psalm 62, you know, as we're about to sing a song that was written uh, directly out of Psalm 62, you may, you may have heard it, you may have not, but just to kind of set this up a little bit, you know, several years ago, the first time I heard this, this song was when we were serving in Central Asia, um, and, I, and I may have shared this with, with some of you, but it was a really hard season for our family, um, it, but it wasn't just a hard season for us, it was a hard season for everybody who was with us. And we, you know, we went to teach at a school that was primarily for families who were there to advance the gospel in this place where we were living. And there were about 150 kids, uh, kindergarten through 12th grade. Uh, the year before we got there, and the year before we got there, they had about 35 teachers at this school, um, and all of them raised their own support to be there. And before we got there, the government took away all the visas for the teachers. And so, which at one point they got down to about six teachers. For 150 kids, kindergarten through 12th grade, they were devastated. Like, it felt like a crushing blow. And so our our church, uh, back in Raleigh at the time, Raleigh, North Carolina at the time, wanted to step in and help. And so me and Kelly stepped in to go and teach at this school. We had a few others kind of come with us. And so here we are in a brand new country, uh, an absolutely, we didn't know anything about this country, didn't speak the language, didn't have any form of transportation. Addie was one at the time. Um, It was freezing cold all the time. Uh, and when we got there, we experienced challenge after challenge after challenge. And, you know, some were kind of funny looking back on, and some were not so funny. Uh, we could tell stories for days about this. But, you know, I'll never forget being at a conference over the winter break. And after a really dark, challenging four months for us and our family and our team, uh, and people from all over our region, you know, this region where very few Christians existed, were coming into this conference just to be encouraged and loved on. And I was, we were there, I was hearing story after story after story of incredible hardship. Many had been kicked out of their country, some blacklisted from their country to never be able to return. Families coming home and the government uh, just, just locked up their house and deported them. Right, I mean, taking every, losing every special memory book, every special item they had, yearbooks, wedding albums, old family albums, family heirlooms, to never be able to go back and collect any of it. Right, they were all gone forever. Some had their apartments bugged by the government under constant government pressure, many experiencing incredible pain and anguish from sickness and disease that couldn't be fixed because of the poor medical care that they had. Children waking up night after night after night with night terrors. I could go on and on and on about the stories just at this one conference that I heard. And so many were tired and weary and lonely, experiencing burnout, having no clue what was going to happen over the next month or what what the next couple months would bring. But yet... And all of their trials and troubles, amidst all of their scratches and stains from those thorny trees, I can say with great confidence that they each experienced the incredible, sweet, and deep fruit that was found by trusting in Christ alone. And when we sang this song we're about to sing um, at this conference, that we sang at the conference, seeing so many tired and weary people singing the song, praising God, and worshiping so joyfully, it became a visible picture of the great truths that we see in Psalm 62. And so over the next several months, this song uh, became for me an anthem, kind of reminding me over and over and over again that my soul finds rest in God alone. 
And so, brothers and sisters, New City Church, if, uh, if you get one thing today, if you hear one thing, hear this. Jesus Christ is sufficient. Jesus Christ is a refuge for the weary. Jesus Christ is our rock and our salvation. And in Jesus Christ alone do we put our trust. He's a firm foundation. He's a mighty rock and a fortress that cannot be, cha- cannot be shaken. This church is one of the sweet fruits that has been found in a thorny year like 2020. And I can think of no greater foundation for our church as we begin uh, the new year of 2021. Let's pray. God, you're good, you're kind, you're gracious. Father, we know that you um, are over all things, that you're in um, our, the, the peaks of our life, you're in the valleys of our life, but through all of it, we can trust that you alone are our sure foundation. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.